Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to worship you this morning. We ask that you would pour out your blessing upon each and every one of us, that we would take home today the word that you have for us, that you would speak through my sermon, that you would speak through our worship today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. So, as many of us know, the Weber family is moving to Rwanda soon, and they're actually in Canada right now, finishing up kind of the last steps of their missionary training for their mission society. And so, as part of that, they've been packing their house up, figuring out kind of uh, last minute uh, what they need to do with all their stuff when they are gone. And so, a couple of months ago, before my ordination to the priesthood, Ben reached out to me and said, Jared, um, how would you feel about having 10 chickens as a gift for your ordination? And I said, I said, yes, absolutely, that sounds great. So, my wife, Abby, knowing how much is going on in my life, she said to me, Jared, are you sure about this? Do you really have time to build a chicken coop? And I, in my infinite wisdom, said, honey, I hear you, but I've got this. Trust me, I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, his last words. So, fast forward a couple of months, and I'm still working on my chicken coop on what seems to be a never-ending project. About five times I've had people in this very room come and help me, and almost every time we've been rained out. A few times we gave up entirely, a couple of times we actually worked through the rain uh, and toughened up and made it work, but alas, we still have not quite finished. So a couple of weeks ago we were finally set for good weather, and one of my friends, Tom Barker, reached out to me and said, Jared, are we working on your chicken coop? And I said, man, I am exhausted, i got to rest, I know it's good weather, but honestly, I need a break from everything that's going on, so we're going to put pause on this project. In the meantime, my friend McIntyre Allen stopped by, who some of you know, and I showed him my chicken coop and all the work we've gotten done so far in spite of weather, rain, and as he looked at it, he said, hmm, it's always a good way to start something, you know? Looks good, but I have one question for you. Why didn't you level out the foundation? As he said this, you know when someone says something and it changes your entire perspective on something? I look at my chicken coop and all of a sudden my beautiful construction, I realize it is entirely unlevel and I had visions of chickens rolling downhill. <laughs> when I get up in the morning, I'll put on my robe and my slip-ons and go out to get my eggs and they will have rolled down and cracked right into the woods. So I thought, oh man. So my, voice, or my wife's voice rung in my ears, honey, are you sure about this? So all week after this, I thought about my chicken coop and I wondered, will I ever get this project done? Why did I start this? I even got a little angry with God. God, why didn't you give me any good weather to get this project done? Even though I had people come out to help me, will I ever finish? So hope finally came for me this past week when my parents decided last minute to come and visit. And so my wife looked at me and she said, Jared, and it really wasn't advice, it was, it was an order. <laughs> this is your chance. Your dad is here. You're going to get this project done. Still don't have it done. But 
Um, with your dad here, you need to work hard and get this project done. So with a little bit of hope, my dad arrived, and we spent this last Friday and Saturday working to get this project done. And so one of the first things we did was we redid the foundation. And I have to admit, it was really frustrating because we had to redo a bunch of the work that we had already done. In order to get this project done the right way, we had to go back and start a few things over. But I was so thankful that my dad was able to help me get it back on track. So he looked at me and he gave me a piece of advice that I think will be helpful for me for the rest of my life. He said, when you work on a project like this, you have to start with one major point of reference, get that part right, otherwise you're going to spend the rest of the time making up for that first mistake. So all week I was thinking about what story am I going to use to start this sermon? And yesterday I realized that the Lord dropped just the right story into my lap. Because I think that this actually fits really well to our passage today in Malachi chapter 3. Scriptures are full of a grand story where God has been working throughout history to build his people into a faithful and true representation of his faithfulness to the world. And yet, time and time again, his people are like the chicken coop in my backyard. Warped, unlevel, incomplete, God comes time and time again into our lives, the lives of his people, and he doesn't just say, do this or do that. He starts from the real heart of the issue. He starts at the core, at the foundation of our hearts. So as we look at Malachi chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, feel free to open up with me to that passage. We see in this passage that God takes a look at the foundation of our hearts and that he will not just challenge us to simply tweak this or that, but to level out the very core of the problems that we are facing. So as we continue our Freely Generous series, we've heard a number of times and challenges the past few weeks about how we handle our time, our talent, and our treasures to be faithful stewards of the resources that God has given us. Whether it's giving more of our money or more of our time, it is tempting in a series like this to work on the issues at the surface of our lives without dealing with our hearts. But God will challenge us in this passage to go deeper to deal with the foundation so we can truly be the people he is calling us to be. So let's take a look at Malachi chapter 3 and see how God is going to challenge us this morning. So first, if you look at verse 6 with me, it says there, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. It is important here to understand the context of the book of Malachi. This book is not often a book that Christians spend much time with. In fact, this week, uh, one of the things I like to do when I prepare sermons is I have a few good preachers that I always like to listen to. I don't steal their sermons, by the way, but I like to get some inspiration from them. And as I looked, all of my core preachers, nobody preached on Malachi. So I thought, oh man. So if we look at the setting after my study of various commentaries and everything, we find out that throughout the book of Malachi, it is a series of disputations, of arguments between God and his people, where God is looking at the problems of his people and going back and forth with them. And so this passage today is one of the examples of a back and forth between God and his people. So we see in verse 6 a core part of the people's issue with God that is keeping them from the lives that he has for them. And I think we will find that this core part is just as relevant to us today. They look at God, and their attitude is, God, you have changed. You are not living up to the promises you have made. God, 
where are you in my life? So for them, at their time, it was the country around them. If you look in the, people, in the story of the people of Israel, they come out of exile in Babylon, and they were promised that God would make them back into a land of blessing that he had promised. They were promised that they will be restored to the glory of the kingdom of Israel that once had been. And yet, as they look around, their country looks like my unfinished chicken coop. For us, it's not all that different. We look around in our lives and we see so much that we don't like. This did not go the way it was supposed to. This project remains unfinished. God, where's the blessing that you promised? Why are you letting this go this way in my life? So like Israel, we look at God and we say, you have changed, you have failed. And so whether we are straight about this and we just admit this outright, that we're frustrated with God, or whether we bottle it up, but it is underlying somewhere in our hearts and we use it as an excuse we excuse many things about our lives that we know we could or should change because of these underlying issues we have with God. But in this passage, we see God is not naive. He understands our hearts. He understands that this is our heart towards him. And so it's actually tempting when we hear these words to hear his words as full of harshness and judgment. But I think that if we read it carefully, we will realize it's actually full of of his immense mercy for his people. When God looks at his people, he confronts their heart issues and he points out something that is true of God time and time again. He says, I have not changed. I have not consumed you. I have not passed judgment upon you for all the things that you said you would do and didn't do. I remain merciful time and time again in spite of your failures. So to truly become freely generous, we must start with this foundation of God's generous mercy towards his people. We have not lived up to his standards. We have sacrificed his principles time and time again. We've made excuses, we've made compromises, and yet God keeps coming back to us as a loving father, and he keeps saying, let's talk about this. I hear you. I have not changed. I am still here with you to work through it with you. Turn to me and I will turn to you. But for us to work through this, we have to deal with this underlying issue. And so God starts this passage by challenging us. His desire is to transform our heart of frustration with him to a heart of generous faithfulness in response to his generosity time and time again. Not to follow through in judgment, but in immense and abundant grace. We actually see this happen that even after this passage where God says, I have not changed, I have not consumed you, I have not passed judgment upon you, he sends his own son into the world who is consumed by our sacrifice of him on the cross. And yet, in this sacrifice, he saves us. God's heart is of generous mercy, so he works to change our lives so that we can become freely generous through his generosity. The second way that God is challenging us in our hearts is towards his people, towards God's people. This passage continues in verse 7 where he says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Here, once again, we have God's infinite mercy. Even though God's people have turned time and time again from his ways, they've made excuses, 
They've not responded to his mercy and faithfulness, but in compromise. God continues to seek after his people and to restore his people. The interesting part, though, is I think that our attitudes towards God's people are often very different than this. We see the same flaws that God sees. We see how hard the church can be sometimes. And yet when we look at the church, when we look at the people of God, we are frustrated. We get tired of the work that it takes to work with others. We get tired of everyone's flaws and how frustrating it can be. So whether we check out a little bit or we check out entirely, we're tempted to throw our hands in the air and doubt God's plan to work through such a flawed people. As we read the Old Testament, it is filled with the ways that God's people have turned from him, but it's also filled with the stories of how God has turned time and time again to his people in mercy and forgiveness. And if we look at the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, we are not promised a church of flawless people. The New Testament is filled with stories of how the church is flawed and full of problems. And yet it is clear that to be part of what God is doing is to be part of his people, even when it looks like a chicken coop sometimes. And honestly, when you walk around our project, sometimes it looks like my unfinished chicken coop in our backyard. We've got work to do. But I think God would like to remind us to keep on working to be the people that he has called us to be, not on a foundation of self-righteousness, but on the foundation of his immense mercy that we find in his son, Jesus Christ. We see this foundation laid out in 1 John chapter 3, where it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So here we see God makes right the foundations of our hearts towards his people by giving us this paradigm of generous mercy. God's people is not founded on self-righteousness, but on salvation by grace. And so we can continue to do the hard work of being generous in love and forgiveness with each other. And this generosity flows out of our healed hearts, not only to heal our relationships, but to allow us to go the extra mile in bearing each other's burdens. So in verse 12, we see God's heart for his people. There he looks forward to a future in which the people of God will finally be brought into their ultimate hope. And there he describes the people of God as a land of delight. Now, honestly, we're not there yet. There's still a long way to go for us to get to that land of delight. But the people of God are called to be a foretaste of this land of delight. We shall one day experience this land when the Lord ushers in his new kingdom. One of the ways that we can foreshadow this is as we live out of God's foundation of mercy is to be generous with the resources that he has given us. And so this brings us to our third and final point, that God challenges us in our heart towards our finances. In verse 8 through 10, God challenges his people with these words, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." 
Here we see God has challenged his people already to the very foundation of his hearts. They're resentful towards God. They're not being the people he's called them to be. And now he's pointing out a very clear point of how they are denying their calling. One of the clearest ways they have expressed that their lives are not built on the foundation of generosity is in withholding their finances from God and from the plan that he's established. So we've been spending the last few weeks talking about tithes and offerings in the scriptures. And if you go back and listen to the previous two sermons, you'll see how in the first sermon, Bishop Allen... And in the second sermon, J.D., establish, they establish the basic principle of tithes and offerings according to the scriptures. So there they pointed out how in the scriptures, God's people are supposed to be fundamentally different in their attitude towards finances. So while it's natural to think of tithes and offerings as giving away our own money, the reality is that it is offering back to God what he has already generously provided us. So in tithing 10% of our income, we're not giving up 10% of our own money. We're offering back 10% of the money that God in his generous provision has provided for us where he allows us to keep 90% of the resources that he's giving to us. So in the first sermon, Bishop Allen pointed out that the vast majority of Jesus' sayings in the Gospels are not about things like sex or hate or things like swearing or drinking too much. The thing that Jesus talks about the most is our money. And there's a reason for that. How we handle the money and all of the stuff that God has given us, according to Jesus, is the greatest expression of where our heart truly is. By holding on to it or by giving it away for other things, we show what truly matters to us the most. But by giving our tithes and our offerings before we do anything else with our money, we show the foundational principle of worship. And we will be expressing this foundational principle here in just a few minutes during communion when we say, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For everything in heaven on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. So here we see by giving freely and generously of the things that God has provided, we are expressing three things. First, that God is truly great. He is the only one that truly deserves our worship. Second, everything truly belongs to him, and we are simply stewards and part of the plan that he has for his kingdom. And third, we're responding to this fact by offering up a part of the very things he's giving us as an expression of the foundation of our lives the goodness and mercy of God. In this, we're expressing our confidence in the Lord and in his provision for us. It's precisely these three things, however, that we find in this passage are being confronted in the lives of Israel. They're not giving generously of the means for three reasons. One, they doubt God's goodness. Two, they're not being God's people. They're not being the stewards that they're supposed to be. And three, instead of worshiping God with confidence in his care and provision, they're living in fear. Throughout history, God has shown himself to be a provider for his people. One clear example can be found when God takes his people out of slavery in Egypt, and throughout their time in the desert, the Lord opens the heavens and generously provides for their needs time and time again. As God takes his people into the promised land, he provides victory over their enemies and peace whenever they trust in him. 
Yet, even then, in the midst of God's miraculous working, they're able to see with their own eyes God working miraculously in their midst. They doubt him, and they doubt his provision. So how much more, we who don't necessarily see it with our own eyes, we doubt it whenever God seems so far away. So now, as the people of Israel live in this land after exile in Babylon, they feel pressure all around them. Not only do they fear sickness and failure of their crops, they don't believe that their means will last, and so they're holding on to everything with white knuckles. In their fear and in their neglect of tithing, the temple starts to suffer. The very center of God's presence among his people is hardly a shadow of what it once was and what it was meant to be. And honestly, I don't think it's that much different for us today especially in an economy like this. Last week, I read a report that said 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. We currently have an inflation rate of around 8.3%. So last night I looked this up because I was wondering, I don't know anything about inflation rates, and so I was like, man, is 8.3% a lot? And so there's some of you in this room know a lot about inflation. Alan's nodding his head right now. Apparently, 8.3% is a lot. So uh, if you have any ideas on how financial systems work and would like to give me insight after service, feel free to do that. But the fact is that most of us here in the room are feeling it right now. And so in moments like this, it's tempting to white-knuckle our money, to hold on to it out of fear either of what might come or because it feels like there just simply isn't enough money left in our account to share with others. And yet, in this passage, the Lord would like to challenge us today. In verses 10 through 11, he says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. God hears our fears. But he would like to challenge us to trust him and let us see what he will do in our lives. He promises to work in miraculous ways if we step out in faith and trust him. Do we believe that he will actually do it? So recently, a couple weeks ago at the New Wineskins Conference, I got to meet Archbishop Laurent Mbanda, sorry, Mbanda, We don't really use consonants that way. Laurent Mbanda from uh, Rwanda, he uh, is the leader of the church in Rwanda, and he wrote a book here called From Barefoot to Bishop, A Rwandan Refugee's Journey. And so I would love for you, if you are interested, to read this sometime. It's it's very good. And um, there's a lot of stories in there about how God works miraculously in his life, but I'm just going to share one to give you a taste of how God works. And honestly, in this book, I was challenged very deeply. Archbishop Mbanda and his family were forced to flee from Rwanda to Burundi when he was only a small child, I believe about five or six years old. After being treated in Burundi like second-class citizens his entire childhood and youth, he was forced to seek other options in order to succeed in his career aspirations. And so he felt a deep call to join, to be in ministry, And so he decided to go out on the road to Kenya to go to seminary. However, he didn't have any money or any papers to get him there. 
So as he's walking along the road to Kenya from Burundi, not only is he regularly encountering wildlife that would make even the strongest of us here scream in fear, even McIntyre, he also has no money to get where he needs to go. Yet along the way, God regularly puts him in contact with the right people. Whether it's generous people who provide him food or money or bus tickets, or whether it's people that he even knows somehow from his childhood that know him, his family, people that he knows, time and time again, God opens the right doors to get him where he needs to go. But as seminary goes on, he, he doesn't really have enough money, and so he keeps experiencing through miraculous ways God sending money for his seminary to get him through it. So as I read these stories, honestly, I was challenged immensely because the fact is I've rarely felt the raw hopelessness that he was confronted by at various moments throughout his lifetime. And yet time and time again, he stepped out in faith, trusting that God would provide. So one of the most challenging parts of this book that I felt was honestly, while I would hardly desire the situations that he was in, I envied the clarity of confidence that he was able to have in the Lord. He was able to experience the Lord in a way that felt so far from my life. And so while I would hardly desire it, I realize how beautiful it is to know that God cares for you. So I believe that it's often an illusion that we live in that we can handle everything on our own. As I look in my life, I've been truly blessed. And yet now, as I struggle with the economic pains we're feeling today, my response is generally not confidence in the Lord who's provided so richly for me, but fear. Fear that it will not be enough, uneasiness at the higher costs that stretch my budget. And so, in all of this, I'm tempted to white-knuckle what I have. Why should I be generous with my money when I don't know what is coming? So I wasn't originally planning on telling this story, but this morning I felt the Lord put it on my heart. Um, I have, uh, recently I was fundraising to pay for my seminary, and in this time, I hate fundraising. Hate it. And Deacon Stephen, he was here at the nine, He's, he was sitting right here, he's not here now, but just imagine Deacon Stephen, he claims that fundraising is really easy, and he, he must have a gift for it, so he always tells me, like, Jared, this is really easy, like, just do this and that, it'll all come together. So I recently kind of gave up um, I said, well, I'll see what next year brings. I have what I need for this year. And so this past week, people keep writing me text messages, both within Redeemer and without a Redeemer. They're like, man, I just really feel like the Lord's putting in my heart to check in with you about this. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so one of my friends who, he, he and I have this kind of interesting connection where every couple of years he will send money randomly. So one time I had literally run out of money to pay my bills. And I prayed, Lord, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so I got a letter one day, and he had sent a couple hundred dollars, and in it he wrote, I just really felt the Lord put it on my heart that you needed this. And so this past week, he was one of the people that reached out to me and said, I really feel like the Lord's putting it on my heart to check in with you. So he called me, and he told me a story that he said I should feel free to share with you guys. And even though I didn't originally plan on doing it, like I said, I felt the Lord put it on my heart this morning to share it, because I think it's truly inspiring. Um, so he recently got a bunch of money as a gift from one of his grandparents, I believe, and he didn't want to tithe it. He thought, I tithe my money all the time. I'm just going to hold on to this. I really need this. God sees my needs. And so, but he felt convicted, and so he started. He said, I'm going to start with 2%, and I'm going to keep working up to 10% of this money as I can. And so he gave 2%. 
He said the very next week, his boss comes in and says, we've decided to give you a bonus of four times what we originally were planning on giving you. And he's just mind blown. He's like, it's crazy how God works. And so I think I really just want us to be challenged to trust the Lord. He says, try me, test me, tithe your money, bring your offerings, give generously of your time and resources, and watch, even now in the 21st century, in the West, where we don't feel like God does miracles all the time, watch what I will do. Jesus echoes this thought in Matthew 6. Hear these words. I believe these are really encouraging. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Are we ready to step out in this kind of hope? Are we confident that the Lord is our good Father? He knows our needs better than we do. He encourages us to try it and see how he will care for us. Let us not rob the Lord of the chance to show us how much he cares for us. Let us not rob the Lord and let us not rob ourselves of this chance to truly grow in faith and confidence in the Lord who's already shown time and time again how generous he can be. So now as I close today, I'd like to challenge us with a vision for our church in the midst of our current economic situation. The economy around us is getting more and more challenging, and people are growing in fear and anxiety. And so my challenge for us is let us be different. Let's live out God's vision for his people. Let's trust in our generous Lord and witness what he will do for us and through us. When all of these things calm down and we don't know how long it's going to be, sooner or later, my prayer for us is that people around us in our community will be able to testify what God is doing through churches in Greensboro like Church of the Redeemer. They would say, those people know and trust in a Lord who provides regardless of what happens. Those people are truly generous regardless of what comes. One of the ways that we can do this, just to be practical, we talked about it last week, is Redeemer Gives. This is a campaign we're doing right now. We're calling it a generosity commitment. So if you don't know anything about it, there's brochures right out here in the, uh, in the doorway. But this is a chance for us to be praying about what God is calling us to do to be generous, to be generous of our tithing, to be generous of our offerings, and to be generous of our time. Let us be praying how we can step out in faith this week. If we do this, I believe that people will get a foretaste of what God says when he promises then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your abundant generosity. We thank you that even when we failed you time and time again, you sent your son, that we consumed him, but you've not consumed us. And so we thank you that you've poured out your mercy through your son, Jesus Christ. May it transform our hearts today. Help us to step out in faith. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.